Uh, but we are continuing our series, Why We Believe What We Believe. We've talked about uh, why we believe what we believe about God the Father. What do we call that one? Haterology. Uh, why we believe... Oh, hey, Miss Christie. Miss Christie. Why we believe what we believe about God the Son. What do we call that one? Christology. Christology. Yeah. <laughs> we should be playing uh, Family Feud. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, why we believe what we believe about the Holy Spirit. What was that one called? That's a tough Pneumatology. one. Pneumatology. Pneumatology. Very good. Yeah. Wow. Josh is on it. Uh, and then from there, I went to the Bible. That one's a little easier to remember. Uh, why we believe what we believe about the Bible was called. I'm not going to answer anymore. Josh put y'all on the spot. Anthropology? That's yes. a different one, but that is one, yes. so that's pretty good. Why we believe what we believe about the Bible, what that was called, theology. Pretty intuitive, honestly. Once, once, I, once I say it, you'll be like, oh, that makes sense. Well, ology's in there, yeah. We're halfway there. Bibliology, Miss Christy got it. Bibliology is from the the original land, the from like Latin, I think it is, or books. You ever heard of a bibliophile? Okay, anybody ever watch Boy Meets World in here? Remember the episode where Minkus gives Mr. Feeney a book? He's like, it's got the, the heft of a book in it. He says, you cunning bibliophile, you. That's just also, somebody if, who's well-versed in books. If you know Spanish at all, how do you say why Spanish? Vibrario. I think that's... I think that's a book. Something like that. Yeah, say that's a book. It's, it's, in, it's in there. It's in there. <laughs> I don't know that I'm right either. Uh, but... See, now I gotta look it up. Yeah. Bibliology, why we believe, is uh, the study, the theology of the Bible. And then from there, we went to anthropology, why we believe what we believe about people. And, yeah, it does mean library? Yeah. Nice. Okay. So this morning will be our lesson on why we believe what we believe about sin. Now, this will be our only series on the subject. That's for a couple of reasons. Uh, one of which is everything else that needs to be addressed about sin is covered in another doctrine. Right? So, and we, we've talked a lot about what we believe about sin in the doctrine of mankind. Right? We talked a lot about the fall of man and the curses. And, and uh, we talked about the Ten Commandments and so forth. And so we went over a lot of that in that one. Uh, after we finish why we believe what we believe about sin, the next one will be about salvation. And we're going to cover a lot of it there, too. So what we're going to talk about this morning, this may even be a short lesson. I don't know. Famous last words from a preacher, so don't quote me. Uh, but we are going to talk about sin a little bit this morning. Now, this isn't going to get real heavy. If you're worried that I'm going to go through a laundry list of things you're doing wrong, don't worry about that. That's not what we're doing. Um. What we're doing is we're, we're going to define sin so we understand on a larger spectrum what it is. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the aspects of the nature of sin that we don't sometimes think about. 
Uh, we're not trying to shame anybody, but there are aspects to sin that we're not aware of, and we want to talk about that. Uh, and we're also going to talk about the universal nature of sin and how it impacts us on a spiritual nature. So that is what the plan is for this morning. So in 1 John chapter 3, where we're getting started at this morning, which I didn't turn to after I told you to, it's near the end of your Bible. 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and then 1 John. And in chapter 3, which we've recently done a study on 1 John. We have a whole uh, Facebook playlist on 1 John, if you're interested in that. Uh, 1 John chapter 3, it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. I don't let that... Are you in the right place? You look a little confused. It's okay. I don't think I'm in the right place. Where are we, John? Chapter First John. John. Oh, not the Gospel. Not the Gospel of John. First John. The epistle. I get those mixed up. Yeah. There's the Gospel of John, First John, Second John, Third John. There's the Book of Revelation, which John also wrote. John was a busy boy. <laughs> First John. Yeah. First John chapter 3 says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Now, don't let that phrase pass you by. That's huge. Now, imagine, uh, you've heard the, the, seen the movie Annie? Have you seen the play? Right? How big a deal it was for her to be adopted by this wealthy man that was learning to care about her and take care of her and what a beautiful story that was. She's learning right through the movie sort of what it means to not be an orphan and be sort of abused anymore. And now she's learning what it means to, to be uh, part of a family and so forth. And it's a beautiful story. And amazing as that was for her to be adopted by a wealthy man like that. How much more amazing is, is it for us to be adopted by God Almighty? By the creator of the universe. Really let that sink in for you this morning. That we are the children, the literal adopted children of the all-knowing, all-powerful, almighty God himself. Really let that sink in. That's how much he loves you, is that he chose you. And see, that's the thing I mentioned on Father's Day, too. Now, that is the thing about fathers. Biology isn't so important. What's important is the man that stayed and the man that raised you and the man that took care of you, the man that went to work every day and put food on the table because he loves his kids, he loves his family so much. Right? That is what God did for each of us. He chose us. You know, it wasn't as though, you know, it was a burden that was placed upon him that, that he had to, even though he didn't want to. No, he chose to adopt us into his divine family. That's a, that's a beautiful statement. It says, therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Now, God was willing to adopt anybody who wants to be a part of his family, but some of them don't want anything to do with God. And so it stands to reason that if we're going to become more like Christ, we're going to become closer to God, those people that don't want anything to do with God might decide to be standoffish toward us. Right, So that, that makes sense. That stands to reason. Unfortunately, it's not always those people 
you would expect for it to be. You know, the atheist that's left church because he doesn't want anything to do with it anymore. Usually that's not the person. Uh, I have a lot of atheist friends. A lot of atheist friends in uh, high school, and then even a few beyond that. Mostly they're very considerate, if you're considerate to them. The people that I find that if they're not close to God, they don't want anything to do with you, are Christians. If there's a Christian that's not close to the Lord, then they don't want anything to do with you either. They won't come right out and say it. It'll be sort of whispers in the back, and it'll be sort of, un, you know, sort of sneaky things and that sort of a thing. But it's usually Christians that behave that way toward the Lord. Think about the crowd of who it was that crucified Christ. Wasn't the Romans, wasn't the Greeks, it was the Jews. It was the Pharisees. Those people that were supposed to know God the best, those were the ones that had him crucified. So the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Verse 2 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Now that's last time, that's uh, uh, the last day's prophecy, end times, revelation sort of stuff it's talking about. That it doth not yet appear what we shall be. What form our new glorified bodies will take when we enter into heaven. Right? It says, but we know, so this is the thing we don't know, and now we're talking about the thing that we do know. We know that when he shall appear, this isn't the second coming, we're talking about the rapture. When he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, that's a big statement, too, because we've talked about before, throughout the Bible, how God will reveal himself different ways. Right? We know that God walked with Adam in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden. We know that uh, God revealed himself to Moses on top of the mountain. Right? We know that the Shekinah glory of God appeared over the tabernacle of congregation and in the tabernacle of congregation. So we know all of these things, and these are ways that God has chosen to manifest himself. We've seen some pre-incarnate Christ in the Old Testament where Jesus showed up to Joshua before he uh, marched along the city of Jericho and things like that. So this is the way that God is choosing to manifest himself before certain people. But what we're talking about now is when we're raptured up with the Lord, that we shall be like him and we'll see him in his truest form. We'll see him, as it says there at the bottom of verse 2, as he is and not just how he chooses to appear to us. And then we come to verse 3, and verse 3 is where we were trying to lead up to. So this has all been about the sons of God, right? And that is the first and most important thing to talk about when we're talking about sin. Do not be shocked when the world does not live by God's standard, okay? I remember Christians being so upset when they legalize gay marriage. Now, we believe here, the Bible teaches here, homosexuality is a sin. Right? That's what it says. However, the rest of the world isn't going to live by that. Why is that? They don't know him like we know him. They don't follow God's law. They're not Christians. Right? So they're going to legalize whatever they legalize. It's a piece of paper. You know, it's a tax write-off. They can't change what God defines marriage as. Right? And so it is, it, it, that is what it is. But let's not act all shocked and appalled when the world doesn't follow God's standard. Right? They're the world. They're not us. There's a difference. 
So when we're talking about sin, we're talking about it applying to God's people. Don't go into the middle of a Chili's and have your lunch and turn to a different table and start arguing with somebody about, you know, um, cursing or, or, or music or something that you think that is a sin that they shouldn't be doing because they might not be a Christian. So it doesn't apply to them. The first rule that anybody has to follow when it comes to God is uh, to accept the, the Lord as their personal Savior. Right? Salvation is the first act of obedience that we must follow before any of the rest of it applies. And so we are talking about the sons of God, and that's important to understand, the sons and daughters of the Lord. It says in verse 3, Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself. So we're talking about the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ and how having the hope of Christ within you purifies you. And that is the, the driving motivation for a Christian. And for years and years and years, churches like Catholic Church and, and some of the other offshoots from the Catholic Church have tried to motivate people to live righteously out of fear. Right? You need to do the right thing or there will be punishments. Do the right thing or God will destroy you. Do the right thing or you can't get into heaven. That's how they try to motivate people to do the right thing. But we see here again the Bible telling us that the motivation to live the Christian life is that hope of the Lord Jesus Christ living inside you. When you have Christ in you and you have that joy, that hope, that peace, all those things that grow out of being close to Christ, being connected to the true vine we'll talk about in the next hour, then you have the motivation to live that purified life even as he is pure. I think I've written down the wrong verse. Oh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm just one verse down. So verse 4 says, Whosoever committeth sin, after having said all of this about the sons of God and the purity and the hope and everything, so whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. And here's our definition, or part of it so far, is for sin is the transgression of the law. Okay, so that is a Bible definition for sin. Is the transgression of the law. Which law? God's law. And that is what is being implied here in 1 John 3. Sin is the transgression of God's law. Now, that is why it's so important to study the books of the law, the first five books of the Bible, to, to know your Bible really well, to know what God's law is, so we know how to live a righteous life. But the law covers more than just our actions. Did you know that? That sin is beyond what you physically get up and do something go to a place you shouldn't go, or you do something you shouldn't do. It's more than that. Uh, let's look at James chapter 4 now. Backpedal a little bit. You know, 2 Peter, 1 Peter, and then James. James chapter 4.
And uh, let's get started in verse uh, 15. It says, For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Uh, verse 14, talking about the, um, the briefness of life and how it's like a vapor. And how we shouldn't uh, be prideful. We shouldn't say, uh, I will do this, I will do that. We'll say, if the Lord will. And uh, not really so much the law there being that you have to say that, so much as it is getting in that mindset of accepting that the things that I really, really want for myself might not be the things that God wants for me. Right? Because we all, when we're young, we all have the plan for our life, right? We graduate high school, you go to college, you meet the love of your life, you do date them while you finish college, you get a settled career going, then you get married, and then you have the kids. That's the plan, right? Can I tell you the plan is going to fall off the rails a few times? I tell you, you're going to get to college after having picked your career in high school and then change your mind once or twice or three times, and then it's going to take you an extra year or two to graduate. You're going to find the love of your, the love of your life. You're going to date for a while. You're going to break up for some reason. You'll think you'll never find love again. Uh, and then you'll go on with your life and you'll graduate from school and you won't be able to find a job uh, in the field that you want. So you'll take another job, accidentally find that you love that job or love that field and work your way up there. And then you maybe find somebody else that is the actual love of your life and maybe you get married and then maybe you find out that you can't have kids. Uh, so you look into adoption and you have a kid that's not your uh, genetics but it's very much your child, and you'd love as much as though they were your genetics. And I tell you that life doesn't always follow the plan that you set for yourself. And if you'll allow yourself to say, if the Lord will, and accept when the Lord won't, you might accidentally find an even better life for yourself than what you had planned. So it's about accepting the Lord's will is where we're starting at. Uh, and then verse 16 says, but now you rejoice in your boastings, which is what we we're talking about. Prideful and saying, no, I'm so great. I'm so awesome. I'm going to go out and do this. You see, that's not the way a Christian should talk. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, in verse 17, it says to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it is sin. So this is the other part of our definition. Is it's obeying the law of God, but it's also any time you have an opportunity to do good and you don't do that good, that is sin. Right? Anytime you have the opportunity to help somebody and you don't help them, that is sin. But doing good is more than just an action. That's what we were talking about a second ago. Doing good can be an inaction. Right? If you don't go out and get drunk, that's an inaction, but that's also good. The Bible says, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Uh, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. It's about influences, right? So it's good to not go out and get drunk. Uh, that is an inaction, that is something you're doing that's good. Uh, also, our words. It's not always something you do, it can be something you say. Right? So your words can be sin. You might say, well, I might have said that, but I didn't mean it. 
doesn't matter what you meant. Saying something is an action. You could have done good with your words. You could have said good things, encouraging things, or things that make people think and maybe even grow closer to the Lord. But instead, you chose to do something that wasn't good. Right? That's part of our definition here. That is what sin is. Following the law of God, he that knoweth to do good, but doeth it not. These things define what sin is. Um, it might be simple to understand it as anything that opposes God. Right? That is what sin is uh, in its nature. Because the things that God lists in the Bible as things that we shouldn't do, he didn't just decide upon that in his infinite uh, time and time past. And these are the things that oppose him by nature. It goes against the very nature of God to be a liar. right? It goes against the very nature of God to be a thief, you know, to be a murderer. Uh, all of these things that are sin, it goes against the very nature of God. That's why sin is what it is. So that is our definition for sin. Sin can be not just things you do. It can be things you say. It can also even be things you think. So your thoughts can be a sin. And some people might think that, that that can't possibly be true, because how can I help what I think? And I heard a preacher say it like this one time. It is about um, disciplining yourself mentally. When you begin to work on it, you can control what you think. Uh, but... I did hear a preacher say it like this one time. You can't help if a bird flies over your head. Right? That can't be helped. But you can help if it lands and builds a nest on your head. Right? That's your fault. If you've got a nest on your head and it's hatching eggs up there, that's on you. That's the way thoughts are. Sometimes the devil will run a thought through your head that you can't help. You know? But if you allow that thought to build a nest in your head, then that's on you. So... Thoughts can be sin. Let's take a look at Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 9 real quick. Proverbs 24. As soon as I get there. Here we go. And verse 9 says... The thought of foolishness is sin, and the scorner is an abomination to men. So a thought we see here, written out plain as day, black and white, can be a sin. And when it says foolishness here, it doesn't mean a person who's unintelligent. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean somebody who's a little bit goofy. That's not what it means. It means a person who's choosing to do something that is wrong, right? A person choosing to be a violent person, a person choosing to be an evil person, right? That, uh, the thoughts of foolishness, not just the actions, but the thought of foolishness is sin, right? Uh, let's look at chapter 21, verse 4, which says, a high look... That paints a picture in your mind, doesn't it? A high look. That kind of person who's got a, a high look. You know, they always look like they're looking up in the sky for something. Is that an airplane? A high look. 
Looks like they're looking down on everybody. Lost my place. Right? A high look and a proud heart. We know what that is. A proud heart. That's somebody who's not willing to admit when they're wrong. Right? That's somebody who's trying to come off as somebody who doesn't make a mistake. Somebody who's better than everybody else. A proud heart. And the plowing of the wicked is sin. So again, we see a high look and a proud heart. These aren't actions that you do, right? These aren't words that you say. These are thoughts. This is what takes place in your mind. Being a proud person, not necessarily saying anything proud or doing anything proud, but being a proud person, that's something that takes place in your mind. A high look and being haughty and and uh, looking down on everybody, that's not something you say or do. That's something you think. You think you're better than them. And that is sin, the Bible tells us. So sin can be more than just the things you do to say. You think. Uh, Exodus chapter 20, we're going to look at one verse real quick. We've already covered this uh, a couple weeks ago, but we're going to look at one of the Ten Commandments specifically in Exodus chapter 20. And in verse 17, it says, Thou shalt not covet right, thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox. Coveting. Right? That's what we're talking about. Coveting isn't something you do. Right? There's no action involved in coveting. Right? If I covet a man's house and then I take his house, I suppose that would be considered stealing. Right? If I covet a man's wife and I take that man's wife, that's adultery. Right? Those are different sins. But when we're talking about coveting, coveting isn't something you do. Coveting isn't something you say. Coveting is a sin that only takes place in the mind. And it is me looking at something somebody else has and saying... I should have that. I should have that. I deserve that. Maybe they deserve it, but if they deserve it, I deserve it more. And I should have one of those, and it's not fair that I don't. That is coveting. It's not something you have to say out loud. It only takes place in here. So this is what sin is. And it's not, and it is going against God's law. It is doing, not doing good when you could, but it's, it's also what we say and what we think and not just what we When we talk about sin, we can't talk about sin without talking about uh, Romans 3. Right, I know we're a little all over the place this morning, but that is kind of the way it is when you're talking about a doctrine that covers the whole scriptures. Romans chapter 3 this morning. We also have a series on Facebook uh, over the book of Romans. That's been a while ago. Romans 3. Uh, we'll see it. We'll see. We'll start in verse 20. It says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. 
right? So that is the purpose of the law, right? The purpose of the law is to give you the knowledge of your sin. Verse 21 says, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Uh, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all. I would mark that phrase unto all if you're in the habit of marking your Bible. Uh, that is an important thing because it kind of puts to bed Calvinism. Calvinism, of course, is the idea that God handpicked before he created the worlds who can and cannot be saved. Uh, who he likes, you know, he doesn't like, and the people that he liked, they can uh, attain the knowledge of salvation. But the people that reject Jesus as their Savior do so because God rejected them from before the worlds uh, were even created. Uh, that goes against what we just read. The righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, is unto all, and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. Right? Salvation is available to all for, verse 23, and you hear verse 23 quoted a lot. But what you don't hear is it connected to those verses we just read. Right? Because it's saying, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so the contrast there is if everybody has sinned and everybody has come short of the glory of God, then there must be made a way available for all. If everybody is depraved spiritually, if everybody has been damned to hell by their sins, then everybody must also equally have been made a way of escape for their sins. If you're going to say everybody's a sinner— you must say that everybody has a chance for salvation. You can't say on one hand everybody's a sinner, and then on the other hand over here say, well, only some of them can escape it. If all, if all have sinned, then the righteousness of God by the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ is unto all. But that is the, the case in verse 23, all have sinned. All have come short of the glory of God. There has never been one man on the earth that has not committed sin in their life, and that is apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, which we talked about in Christology. That is because he was the God-man. And uh, we'll do a little review here real quick. Does anybody remember why Jesus did not have a sin nature? That's part of it. Oh, he wasn't right. He was of, uh, anybody remember in Genesis 3.15? Uh, they call it the Proto-Evangelium, which you don't need to know, except for the fact that, uh, yeah, it is the first ever promise of salvation, because it is the first ever occurrence of sin. As soon as we have sin, we have the hope and promise of salvation. Uh, it's the curse of Satan, not necessarily of the serpent, but of Satan. It says, um, I will, uh, the word has left my brain, um, a deep-seated hatred 
uh, is what it means. And I've forgotten the word. You can look it up for yourself. Genesis 3.15, between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Right? That's talking about Jesus. It refers to Jesus as the seed of the woman. Right? And that is important because Jesus does not have human male uh, genetics in him. His father is the heavenly father. Right? Mary was a, the immaculate conception. Our sin nature comes from our father. Right? What did the Bible say? By one man, sin entered the world, and death by sin. Therefore, death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Right? It is our fault, guys, that the sin nature continues on down the line. The seed of the woman was pure. Jesus Christ didn't have a sin nature. Now, he was tempted with all the same things we were. He was enticed by all the same things we were, though he was never tempted to partake of them. He was pure in that way. But the rest of us have sinned. We've come short of the glory of God. You know what that is? That's an equalizer, is what that is. We're all the same, and we're all in the same boat, as it were. We're all in the same problem. And it doesn't matter what country you were born in. We're all the same. Whether you're an American or whether you're uh, a Chinese national, whether you live in Russia, whether you live in Ukraine, whether you live in Iraq, whether you live in Canada or Mexico, wherever you live, we're all the same. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know what that means? That means I'm not better than anybody else anywhere else. That means... That I'm in the same boat as all the black people are. I'm in the same boat as all the Asian people are. I'm in the same boat as all the other different nationalities and, and uh, dividing lines between each of us. We're all in the same situation. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know, I, I, and I'm going to say this, and I, I'm sure it's going to be a controversial statement to make. I've got no problem with gay people. I've told you where I stand on homosexuality. You know that, but I've got no problem with gay people. Let me tell you who I do have a problem with. These protesting Christians who will hold up signs, and you're going to have to pardon my language here for a second because I'm just quoting the signs that say, God hates queers. Those people I do have a problem with. If you're a homosexual and you're watching this today, I hope you have all the happiness in the world. I really do. I hope that you are saved and you're on your way to heaven. That's the first and most important thing you need to know. The rest of it, you know, that's a matter of personal growth with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's between you and the Lord. But the first and most important thing you need to know is that Jesus loves you. He died for you, and he wants you to be saved. God does not hate anybody. And it wasn't... The sinners, by the way, the degenerates and the rejects that Jesus was angry at during his time here on the earth. But I do remember him flipping over some tables when the Pharisees came into town. I do remember when he was sitting and having lunch with that rough-looking crowd, the friends of Matthew, that those Pharisees came by. <laughs> Are you aware? 
those people are sinners. How can you sit at the same table as them? Jesus' response was basically, I will sit at the table with them every day. Your table I'm not interested in. But we're all the same. Right? We're all sinners. We're all in the same boat. We may disagree on things. We might have rousing political debates, some of which are extremely important. But the most important thing to remember is all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I'm not superior as a man because I'm a man. Because whether you're a man, you're a woman, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's the great equalizer. And the next and unfortunate thing we have to talk about when we talk about sin is in Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, we'll start in verse 20. It says, For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. Right? But you were still the servants of sin. Right? So many people look at Christianity and they think of it as something that's binding. And I think they think of that because of the culture around churches today. And there is so much strictness about if you want to be a member of this church, then you have to, you know, uh, you're not allowed to read these books. You're not allowed to watch these movies. You're not allowed to, you know, do these things. Don't you go to a movie theater? Don't you, you know, do your hair like this? Don't you? Some churches uh, will get mad at you if you grow a beard. I remember um, my uncle coming to one of our churches when I was a, a kid and the pastor talking to him after church, giving him a hard time about growing a beard. I wanted to go, Pastor, have you not read the Bible? Like, there's, there's in the book of Isaiah, it prophesies that when Jesus is going to be tortured, one of the things they do to torture him is pluck the hairs of his beard out. I'm sorry, the hairs of his what? Jesus had a beard. Pretty sure they didn't have to worry about hippies anymore. It's 2022. It's okay to wear wire rim glasses, too. You don't have to worry about being a hippie. It's okay. Right. The problem is, right. You don't have anything to worry about. Yeah. Josh is good. He can't grow any hair anywhere <laughs> no. on the top of his head, not on his face. No. <laughs> but the problem is, uh, you've read the book of Revelation, perhaps, where it says, "He that adds to or taketh away from uh, the words of this book, uh, he shall also have his name taken out of the the of God's book." There, toward the end of the book of Revelation. And we quote that as talking about people who do other versions of the Bible. Now, they're not taking a King James Bible and ripping words out of it that they decided they didn't like. What they're doing is they're taking another. We talked about this during our lesson on why we believe what we believe about the Bible. They're taking another manuscript, right? And they are translating that in a more modern English to what they think it means. Now, as pure as I'm sure their intentions are, it's still not what I feel should be done. We talked about that at great length in that lesson. I'm out of time to go back over it again. But the point is, is we want to talk about that verse as though we're talking about taking away from the Bible. right? But there is another part to that. There's another half to that equation, adding to the Bible. right? How many of you have heard a preacher say, 
that men should wear pants. Right? If you grew up in a conservative church in Texas, you heard that phrase. Yes. How many of you ever heard a pastor quote a verse to go along with that? Did not. At best, there's a, a very gray area verse in the Old Testament that says men should dress like men and women should dress like women. I think that's more relevant in 2022 than ever before, but I don't think it's talking about the difference between pants and shorts. Right? Now, uh, you ladies that were part of a conservative church for many, many years, did you ever feel uncomfortable not wearing a dress in front of another church member? Yes. Because you're made to feel like that's the way you should dress all the time. Did you ever hear a person quote a verse for that? Right? Right. Men dress like men, women dress like women, but I would look really weird in a pair of Amanda's pants. <laughs> okay? That's one of those gray area verses we like to be like, well, this is what it means. Let's let the Bible speak for itself, okay? Adding to the Bible, that is just as bad as what we're talking about. But in Romans 6, um, we talk about that, that feeling of we're confined, we're constricted by church. And I feel like that's why. It's not because of anything the Bible says. It's because of what other people say. right? These rules that are added to us that don't have anything to do with the Bible. If you want to watch a movie, watch a movie. That's fine. But I wouldn't recommend certain languages in those movies. Right? The Bible says, uh, refuse profane and vain babblings. You know why? For it will, pro it will um, proceed unto further ungodliness. Cursing is a gateway sin. Uh, you've heard of marijuana. They say marijuana is not bad for you. There's no scientific evidence, and this is true from what I've seen, there is no scientific evidence that smoking marijuana is as bad for you as doing other drugs, as I'm sure smoking anything can't be good for your lungs. But the reason you don't smoke marijuana is because it's a gateway drug. Right, That high you get from marijuana, eventually you'll hear somebody say or you'll see somebody experience how that, that high is nothing compared to heavier stuff. Meth, you know, and that, that kind of a thing. And it gets worse. Marijuana is a gateway drug. Well, cursing is what I like to refer to, as the Bible calls it, a gateway sin. It will proceed into further ungodliness. You get used to talking like a worldly person that doesn't know Jesus, then you will begin to act like a worldly person that doesn't know Jesus. It's a gateway sin. Right? And so, that is why we say that. But, uh, you know, these extra-biblical things, uh, they, that's what makes us feel chained. Really, when you find Jesus and you discover the true Christianity of the Bible, it's very freeing. It's very, very freeing. Then we get down to verse 23, and it says, For the wages of sin is death. Now, this is true for everybody, right? But what happens is, the first sin you ever commit, right? First sin you ever commit, your, uh, your soul, your spirit is dead. 
if you're of age, right, and you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, but you're old enough to know the difference between right and wrong, you're old enough to know, to understand salvation, your spirit is dead inside of you. That is the result of sin. Now, if you've been saved, your, your spirit cannot die again. Once you're saved, you're always saved. Uh, John 10 refers to, the, to us as sheep in the hand of the Heavenly Father. He says, the John, I think it's the Lord who's speaking there, and he says, no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Right? I think it's the book of 1 John, which talks about that you may know that you have eternal life. Right? So once you're saved, you're always saved. You can't lose that. But the salvation from very young in our life, the sin from very young in our life, the sin that we committed very early on, that is what kills our spirit within us, and we need the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that's why children's ministries are very important. Let me tell you something. Right? This is a pet peeve of mine. Children's ministries are not a revenue for you to reach parents. You know why a lot of churches have a children's ministry and a teen ministry? I can tell you from personal experience, one of the things when people call up, one of the things they're looking for the, for the most is a children's program and a youth group. Because they want their teenagers in a good group of other teenagers. That'll be a positive influence on them. That's a great thing. They want their kids learning the Bible stories and getting excited about the Bible, having fun in church. These are fantastic things. But let me tell you the most important reason for these things is those children need to get saved. And they need to get saved as quickly as they can. As soon as they understand it, we're not going to rush them into anything they don't really understand. Right, but as soon as they're old enough to understand it, as soon as they're old enough to, to see a need of salvation, we need to help them come to know Jesus as their Lord and personal Savior. Because you never know how long a person has on this earth. I'll tell you about a young man named Jace Hollingsworth. Jace was one of the best young men I've ever met in my life. He was caring, he was honest, he was compassionate. Hardworking young man, kind of guy you'd like to know. Kind of guy anybody'd like to call a friend. It's the kind of guy who struggled with things even as a young man in his life, but he he handled it with grace. He came to our church for a while at Gospel Light, and uh, he he came to the children's ministries, and I taught him every week, and came to vacation Bible schools and so forth, and. Through the course of time, Jace got saved. And then they moved away and they couldn't come to church anymore. And, and they would try and come visit as often as they could. But it was a heck of a drive for them. I think it was about an hour. And couldn't make the drive anymore. So we didn't get to see him as much. We try to meet up every once in a while because I just, you know, when you work with kids for like that for a while, you, you develop a connection. Want to know how they're doing. Even to this day, I try to keep up with my junior church kids. But. Jace had a terrible accident. There was an intersection that wasn't properly, um, there was a light, I think, that wasn't properly working, something like that. And Jace was hit by another car and died. Car accident. 
but the comfort and solace that I can take from a young man who died too young is to know I will meet him again. And only because he took those children's ministries of gospel light very seriously. Children's ministries are one of the most important things a church can do. Because sin has cost. Sin isn't free. Payment is death. Not that God's going to kill you for breaking his, his law. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 14 says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Talking about the second death of hell. It's where sinners. Hell wasn't created for us. Did you know that? Hell was created for the devil and his angels. We weren't meant to go there, and you don't have to go there. You don't have to join a church. You don't have to do anything. All you have to do is accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And you can escape that terrible place of hell. But if we're going to talk about sin, we must talk about its unfortunate consequences. That is the unfortunate consequence. So as we're closing out our lesson this morning, I just want everybody out there on the Facebook world to know you don't have to face that terrible place. The Lord Jesus Christ has created an escape, has paid the cost of your sins on the cross. They've been paid for, and all you have to do is accept it. Don't put it off. You never know how long you've got. That is our lesson for this morning. I want to thank you guys. I'm sorry it was more of a serious, more melancholy than our normal lessons, but sometimes that's the way it needs to be with the Bible. Some serious subjects in here that we need to understand. Uh, but next week we'll be talking about salvation, and we'll get to cover that in a more detailed uh, way, and that'll be a good time. Uh, but we'll be back. Let's see what time, how long I went over today. Yeah. Uh, we'll be back at, let's say, 10 after for the morning service.